You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Peace be with you, family. All right. If you are first time guests, we just want to say welcome. We are glad uh, that you are here this morning. We pray that a song will be sung or a word spoken that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. And if you're watching online, we say uh, welcome as well. Um, We pray the same thing for you. My name is Pastor Jamal, and I'm one of the pastors here today, and I have the joy of diving into Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and uh, just explaining what it says and applying it to our lives. If you would just pause with me, we'll pray, and we'll dive right in. Holy Father, a good, gracious Father you are. We ask you to have your way at this moment. Holy Spirit, we pray that as you indwell your people, that you would allow your word to impact us for the glory of Jesus Christ. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. And the church said, amen. Now, listen, when we go in this house, you better act like you have some sense. (laughs) I don't want you climbing on the couch. Don't be asking a whole lot of questions and act like I feed you. (laughs) Don't be acting hungry. If you've never received a talk like this from a parent, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. It was a part of my regular routine of hearing from minds. Amen. (laughs) And this type of talk is the type of talk that the sage of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, is giving um, his audience, those who have gathered around to hear his wisdom. In verse 1, the sage says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifices of fools who do not know that they do wrong. In other words, the sage is saying, when you go to the temple, or for us today, when you go into the church house, Act like you have some sense. After teaching on the importance of being a hard worker, the importance of having deep friendships, the sage continues to cultivate his audience by encouraging them towards life-giving ways of living. And this time, he points his audience to how to approach the temple of God. And he starts by saying, watch your steps when you go into the house of the Lord. In essence, 
Solomon is reminding all of Israel to worship the Lord with reverence and fear. And today I want to encourage you through this sermon to worship the Lord with wholehearted reverence by listening and using your speech wisely. Now the question must be asked, why is Solomon suddenly changing directions after just giving passionate pleas to work hard and to do justice and to cultivate deep friendships? Why all of a sudden is the preacher's focus on corporate worship? And the reason why is because corporate worship shapes us by creating life-giving habits. Corporate worship creates moments of sacred reflection, space for repentance, opportunities to be reminded of what matters most. It reminds us of God's transcendence and our humanity. In fact, the first temple in which Solomon is referring to um, here in this passage was a massive temple. It was beautiful. It was huge in scope and in size. And it was built that way so that Israel would remember the bigness and grandeur of a holy God who summons them to worship him with fear. And today, like some Israelites, when we, as they approach the temple, we can find ourselves coming to church out of routine rather than reverence, out of superstition, not faith, to be entertained and not to be spiritually filled. And Israel did this. They often came into worship, came before the presence of God in the temple of God without guarding their steps, without considering their ways. The prophet Malachi wrote his book around 430 B.C., one or two centuries before Ecclesiastes was written. I want you to hear what the prophet had to say to the people of Israel as they gathered. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that you would no longer, longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies. And I will not accept no offering from your hands. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. And so this is the backdrop of the sage. The sage is teaching us how to worship God under the sun. The sage is showing us that while life is often filled with hevel, with emptiness, with smoke, our worship to the one true God is never meaningless. 
It shapes us. It forms us. The backdrop to the sage's words is Israel, who had a culture of temple worship that was often inauthentic, where people made vows to give God their best, but habitually overpromised and underdelivered. The result of this culture is that the name of God was not being taken seriously by those who were watching, by the next generation. And it also wasn't being taken seriously by the nations. Three times in today's passage, we see that the sage uses the term the foolish person. In verse one, he says, go near, meaning go to the temple to listen rather than to offer the sacrifices of fools. In verse three, he writes, a dream comes when there are many cares and many words marks the speech of a fool. In verse four, he pontificates, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. When we read these verses, we see that the sage is telling us that the foolish person is the person who makes unacceptable sacrifices to God. They come before him in corporate worship with heartless or half-hearted worship. They are habitually going through the motions. They worship God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And every Christian, every believer, every person who has been redeemed by God has moments in which their worship is half-hearted, have moments in which their worship is insincere, but a fool's worship is habitually this way because their heart does not belong to the Lord. This is an issue of faithlessness. This is an issue of not trusting in the Lord. Years later, Jesus of Nazareth would come to the earth and he would teach his disciples what it meant to worship wholeheartedly. He would describe the scene and the culture of Israel in that day by pointing out the fact that their temple worship was often motivated by personal comfort and outward piety which ultimately led to self-love and the neglect of their neighbors. And so today, I just want to briefly pause so that we can ask ourselves, how do we worship God wholeheartedly? How do we be, uh, come amongst the people who don't act like fools? How do we pursue the Lord in such a way where our feet are guarded and walking wisely. We do this by worshiping him wholeheartedly with reverence, by listening and using our speech wisely. Those two points I want us to consider. The first is this. Unlike fools, wholehearted worshipers worship God by listening with reverence. That's what this text is teaching us. In verse 1, 
The sage says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Go near to listen. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Some translations say go near to be obedient rather than to offer the sacrifice of food. That word listen has this uh, baked into it, this idea of intentionality and a heart that is listening to obey. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through five, Moses gave Israel word from God that would shape their lives and their culture when he wrote this. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. It's impossible for us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul if we do not cultivate hearts that are actively listening to the Lord. Priscilla Shire, in her book, Discerning the Voice of God, says this. There are two types of listening, passive listening and aggressive listening. We engage in passive listening most frequently. We hear with our physical ears, but we don't digest the truth of what is being said. God wants aggressive listeners who look intently at his word and listen deliberately to what he says. Here's some questions for you. When you approach the house of God, are you approaching with ears to hear from him or a desire to be entertained? As you woke up this morning, were you coming to church out of superstition? Believing that if you habitually come to church, that you will win his favor? Are you approaching out of mere obligation or are you listening so that you might learn about the love of God and the power that he gives to love and obey him? When you approach the house of the Lord, are you doubting God's ability to speak? For it is difficult to listen if you are not expecting to hear from God. Do you come to corporate worship in the presence of God and of others who have been redeemed by God? with the desperation to hear his voice, knowing that what will be spoken from his word and through the liturgy and in the songs is the very voice of God. We serve a God who speaks, a God who merely through his words brought order out of chaos, a God who created the waters by his words, a God who divided the water from dry land by his word, a God who speaks and spoke peace to a storm by his words, a God who raised Lazarus from the dead by his words. Fools rush into his presence with their ears closed and their mouths open, but the wise cultivate hearts that know that God can do something impossible, impeccable, 
life-giving, sweet, life-altering, life-changing, life-directing, prophetic, and strong through his word. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 12, God tells Moses, he says, gather the people, men and women, dependents, and the resident aliens within your city gates so that they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow the words of his law. I want us to learn at Sojourn Community Church how to listen well, how to be aggressive listeners so that we can receive a word from the Lord in corporate worship so that we can learn expecting, so that we can desire to grow in order to fill up our city as gritty disciple makers. And here's two short keys and two very practical things that we can do to grow in active listening and to get the most out of God's word. The, the first is this. We've got to simply learn to watch what we eat. If we want to get the most out of gathering together on a Sunday morning to hear the word of the Lord, if we are going to guard our steps as we come into the house of God, we've got to learn to watch what we eat. We've got to make sure that throughout the week, we are not consuming food from the world's table. And by eating, I'm not talking about your physical diet, though uh, that's important. I'm talking about spiritually. We've got to be careful with our spiritual diet, for we have two options in life. We have two roads that we can travel throughout the week, either a road that calls us and allows us to feed our spirit or a road that causes us to feed our flesh. Either we are going to live a life where we are walking in the spirit or where we are walking in the flesh. And those who walk in the spirit are those who, as Paul says in Colossians chapter three, verse one, are those who set their minds on the things that are above and not the things that are below. Walking in the spirit requires us to set our eyes above the sun, to make sure that we are not being enculturated by what is happening below the sun to make sure that we are not loving the things of this world. Jesus said, do not love the world nor the things of the world. We have to set our affections on Christ by guarding our heart during the week. We can't expect to eat one healthy diet per week and, and eat junk food all week long and expect to flourish in our walk with the Lord. We will not cultivate hearts that are wholehearted if the majority of our diet is drama, consumerism, and things that feed our greed. Jesus said, blessed is the pure in heart for they will see God. Second, We prepare our hearts to listen to the word of the Lord by remembering 
that Sunday morning begins on Saturday night. A lot of times when we come to the house of worship, the word of God does not impact us because our first time really being engaged in the things of the Lord that morning is when we walk in. And many times Saturday night wasn't stewarded well. Sometimes we stay up so late on Saturday night and we binge watch shows that, quite frankly, knock us out of step with the spirit. And we walk into the house of the God saying, I need a word from God. And our hearts are filled with all kind of chaos and mess and worldliness. And so I want to encourage you to start remembering that not only do we want to have a healthy diet throughout the week, but that Sunday morning starts Saturday night. What would it look like for you if Saturday night wasn't the night where you just stayed up late and binge watched a TV? I'm not saying that that's not appropriate sometimes. I was out last night with my family. We had a great time. But what would it look like if you started to prepare your heart um, for what was going to happen in the house of God the day before? What would it look like if you uh, sat down and took inventory of your week, quieted your heart and prayed, asked the Lord how um, you, what you should repent of and, and how you can grow? James chapter one, verse 21, James says this, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. The sage wants Israel to humbly receive the word of the Lord to make sure that they're not rushing in the house of the Lord, bringing uh, any old sacrifice to him. Missing the fact that everything about temple worship was to remind them of how big and grander and good God is. A.W. Tozer says this, God will speak to the hearts of those who prepare themselves to hear. And conversely, those who do not prepare themselves will hear nothing, even though the word of God is falling upon their outer ears every Sunday. Second, not only do we want to live as wholehearted worshipers by listening to God with reverence, unlike fools, wholehearted worshipers worship God by speaking with wisdom, by speaking with wisdom. The sage here wants us to speak slowly to speak with brevity, and to speak thoughtfully. He wants us to learn to speak slowly, to speak with brevity, and to speak thoughtfully. Now, remember, the context of this passage is in corporate worship, and he's trying to teach people as they come into the house of the Lord uh, to not come to talk, but to come uh, to listen and to be mindful of what they say in the presence of God. He says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before the Lord. He says, speak slowly. When we come into the house of God to worship, we are worshiping. The text says a God who is in heaven. 
We come to worship one who is transcendent. And yes, God is our friend, but he is also our king. He is also our Lord. You know, there's a movement that uh, says that Jesus is our, is our homeboy. You probably saw those shirts. And those shirts annoy me. <laughs> and I understand that might be like, you know, the hood version of the message or whatever, when Jesus says that he's our friend. But I don't know, homeboy just seems a little too, a little too casual for me. Uh, Jesus said, yes, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. But he also is unlike any other friend that we have. He is a friend who calls us to surrender, who calls us to follow his way by picking up our cross daily, who follows us, who calls us to submit our whole lives to him. And when we come in the house of the Lord, we come as those who are redeemed and we come as those who are friends with God, but we come as his subjects. So when we come, we come fearing the Lord. Verse seven, if you look at the text, you see that that's how this passage ends. Therefore, fear God. And he starts in verse one by saying, guard your steps when you come to the house of the Lord. He's inviting us to to treat God. And this is a metaphor that falls short, but to treat God as we would treat electricity. To see that electricity is good, that it provides light. But electricity is not something to be played with. We come into the presence of God knowing that he is good, he is light, but he is not something to be played with. Not only that, but he encourages us to to speak with brevity, to speak with brevity, to not babble on and to continue to talk in his presence. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. But don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. A fool prays long prayers, and they pray long prayers because they desire to be applauded by man. A fool thinks that their prayers are are more spiritual if they say more. A fool thinks that their prayers are more acceptable if they use big words, if they come off and appear to be smart. A fool thinks that their prayers are more acceptable to God if they just change their voice and sound more sincere. But what Solomon is teaching us and what Jesus would come later to teach us is that God is not after these outward performative acts. He's after our heart. And many times when we have long prayers in public and when we use big words, it's not because we're talking to God, but it's because we're talking to the people around us and we want to be applauded and we want to appear better than we are. I love what one theologian says about prayer meetings. He says, when one prays in a meeting for the first three minutes, everyone prays with him. Should he continue a second three minutes, everyone prays for him. (laughs) And should he continue for a third three minutes, the others start to pray against him. Amen, somebody. (laughs) So Solomon is teaching us here. 
how to worship the Lord wisely and not as fools. Verse two, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be true. Now, we see in the psalmist that in the Psalms that the Psalter often teaches us how to pray to God. And, and it's OK to be real with God. It's OK to tell God how you feel. But we need to do this knowing that God is in heaven and we are on earth. He wants to hear from us as a loving father. But we need to do so respectfully. He goes on in verse three. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Verse four, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. The sage is getting on worshipers for making excuses for not keeping their promises in terms of temple pledges. People would publicly uh, declare in the temple, make a scene. Hey, everybody, listen up. Look over here. I just want to say something. After giving account uh, to how God has been to us and all that we received this year on the farm, my family and I want to let you know that we're pledging to give half of what we earned away. Yes, half. No, no, no. We're not doing this to be seen. We just want you guys to know maybe it will inspire you as well. And this was a regular occurrence that was happening in the temple where people was living this performative way before God. And the sage is doing what Jesus would teach later. He's saying, no, when you come to the house of the Lord, don't come like a fool. Come as one who sees that God is big and beautiful and he sees what you do in secret. Come knowing that he is not about your religiosity. He is about you having a thriving relationship with him. Come into the house of the Lord, knowing that the routines that we go through, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, the preach word that we hear is shaping us over time to look more and more like Jesus. Come into the house of the Lord as Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, knowing that because you are in Christ, you are blessed and you come with a heart that's not boastful, but that is poor in spirit. You come with a heart that is not prideful, but one that is mourning, knowing that you shall be comforted. You come with a heart that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness, knowing that you are not righteous in yourself. You come with a heart that says, Lord, I need a word from you. I am the publican, not the Pharisee. The psalm is here wants temple worship to glorify God. And he wants the people of God to not be motivated by a fear of man or need for man's applause, 
but by a fear of God. And many times we overpromise because we fear man rather than God. Many times we make vows and we overextend ourselves, not in service to God, but in service to ourselves because we want people to love us because we feel that we absolutely need their love in order to have significance. And beloved, God is giving us an opportunity every Sunday to slow our hearts down before we come to worship him, to enter into this physical building, which is beautiful, to remind us that we serve a God who is more beautiful, a God who we should fear and revere, a God who invites us to live slowly and intentionally before him, not for the praise of man, but for the glory of God, a God who reminds us that we are perfectly loved, perfectly loved, and 100% accepted, not because of the sacrifices that we bring, but because of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf and because we placed our faith and trust in him. Throughout his life, Jesus modeled reverent worship. Throughout his life, Jesus modeled what it looked like to fear God and not man. Jesus taught his disciples, do not fear the man who can harm the body, but rather fear the one who can harm the body and the soul. Jesus modeled reverent worship And he challenged the people to worship God reverently by acts of of boldness and by telling stories about the kingdom. One day, Jesus told a parable about the wheat and the tares. And he reminded listeners that not everyone who professes to be citizens of the kingdom of God is in God's kingdom. He reminded his audience that that some of the people who were before them were fools. They were tares that Satan had planted. And he encouraged his disciples not to be obsessed with figuring out who is who, but rather to make sure that they are living before the audience of one. Some of you are discouraged. Because the church has hurt you. And I just want to come to remind you that fools come to church. Some of you have a hard time walking into the house of God Sunday after Sunday because fools have had said some things to you that were insensitive. Because when you were hurting and you needed mercy, you felt judged. Some of you are hurting because you experienced abuse in the church. Some of you are hurting because you grew up hearing a graceless, fundamentalist way of of Christianity. Some of you are, are hurting because you're seeking to faithfully live out a biblical sex ethic amidst being attracted to persons of the same sex. But From the people of God, from the temple worshipers, all you hear is wounding rhetoric, double standards, and unloving glances. And I just come to remind you that fools go to church too. 
and that Jesus was seeking to shape a community of people who were not entering into the house of God to perform or to judge, but to take their eyes from being around other people and to place their eyes on him so that he can form them to look more like him and less like others. Jesus modeled reverent worship by showing a holy discontentment with the way things were. He flipped over tables. He spoke to the most religious and said, God is not after your sacrifices. He is after mercy. Jesus showed reverent worship by reminding people that the house of God was to be a place of prayer for the nations, a place where multicultural, multi-ethnic people could come together and cry out to him together to be filled up and to go out. Jesus modeled reverent worship by emptying himself, by submitting himself to the curse under the sun, by living a sinless life so that we who are under the sun could find forgiveness of sin and eternal life through his perfect sacrifice. Jesus modeled reverent worship by keeping his word. He said, if you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And even as he was approaching the cross and he had a yearning in his heart to to sidestep the suffering that he was about to experience because of the sinfulness of man, rather than to give in, he said, not my will but your will. He kept his vow and he kept his vow because he loved you so that when you broke your vows, you wouldn't be condemned. You wouldn't have to live in fear, shame, guilt, or condemnation, but you can come to him as your perfect mediator, knowing that all he has for you is love. Fools rush into the presence of the Lord. The wise enter with fear and trembling, knowing that they worship a holy and a good God who loved them enough to give his only begotten son. Pray with me. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.